0: If you'd like to follow along this morning, we're going to be in the book of Acts, as we have been for quite some time, and we're going to be in chapter 17, starting at verse 16, and I'm going to read through the, the whole passage. It's kind of a lengthy one, but it is an exciting one nonetheless, so um, you can follow along with me, or uh, you can you can just listen along, but will be in Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 17, starting at verse 16. We're going to watch Paul. Once again, Paul is on his missionary journeys. And we're going to watch him encounter philosophy today. (laughs) We're going to watch him encounter uh, people who, as the Scriptures will tell us, all they do is sit around and think about ideas. (laughs) So that's why it's our theme today, ideas. So let's go ahead and uh, observe the scriptures and what they will tell us today. Verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day, When they took him and brought him to a meeting with the Aeropagus, which we'll talk about in just a second, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing, but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. This is where he really digs in. The God who made the world (laughs) and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands As if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life. And he gives everyone breath and everything else. From one man, he made all of the nations. And they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him because he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone that is an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has a set day when He will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising that person from the dead. Of course, he's talking about Jesus there. And we'll go ahead and stop with our passage this morning. Like I said earlier, this is kind of the first passage in Acts where... The good news of Jesus is very directly confronting human philosophy. Now, when we, when we say philosophy this morning, what, what I'm talking about, what we're talking about is a quest for knowledge to explain reality. That's kind of what philosophy is. As far as the academic school of philosophy, it's people trying to explain reality. And as far as Athens was concerned, their collective philosophy, once again, the fruit of them talking day in and day out about the latest ideas, led them to attribute countless idols to just as many areas of life, even including, as we read in verse 23, attributing stuff to an unknown God, just attributing the unknown to the unknown. Paul knows, however, that the very nature and existence of the singular one God of Israel is a concept that is going to break their philosophy. (laughs) Paul knows this. And I want to highlight four key points that Paul uses to navigate his way through their philosophies. But these are also very important things for us to remember as well. Because these are just good, truthful things about the God that we talk about and pray and pray to and sing to and all that. Um, the verses themselves are verses 24, 25, 26, and 27. And I'm just going to go ahead and read off this list real quick. But in verse 24, uh, Paul says that God doesn't live in places built by human hands. Now, why was this such a big deal? It's because Athens and a lot of other cities were filled with physical monuments, physical structures, physical buildings. And it was believed that those gods lived there. And so it informed how they treated those physical places. The God of Israel, (laughs) however, as Paul states, doesn't live in places built by human hands. And maybe it's helpful to say he doesn't live exclusively in places built by human hands. We believe that God is present here among us, but of course God is everywhere else as well. Verse 25, Paul says, and this is really profound for us too, but definitely for the Athenians, is that God isn't sustained by humans, but it is in fact God who sustains humans. And the reason that this is so profound is because the the Athenians and those that were listening to Paul got themselves into a philosophical place where there were gods that were in charge of stuff. We've talked about this a few weeks ago, farming, battle, economics, just all of these different gods that oversaw different things. There was this weird dynamic where, where they were in charge, but in order for them to be in charge and in order for them to be good, it required certain things of the people, certain practices and rituals and sacrifices. And so there was this weird dynamic where it got to this place where it was the people that sustained the goodness of the God, the gods. But Paul says once again, God is just good, right? The God of Israel is a good God and it doesn't get determined by humans. Verse 26 God created all of the inhabitants of all of the nations. Speaks for itself. And verse 27, Paul says that God is close to us and God can be reached out to by us which is so um, confrontational for the original hearers of what Paul is saying, because these gods that were engaged with by the Athenians, they viewed these gods as very distant, ones that did not perhaps necessarily care too much. What Paul is able to say is, no, the God of Israel is close, and that God can be reached out to, that God can be sought that God can be found. And those are really exciting things. These truths are held to us, uh, held by us today. But we got to understand that they, can flip, they, they completely flipped the Athenians' world upside down. And so if I could paraphrase Paul's words for us, I would say this is that humans don't make God, God. That, there, there's a comma in there. <laughs> humans don't make God, God. We're already talking about this, this, this theme of ideas, right? We live in a world and a culture that's full of ideas. We've got brand new ideas. We've got historic ideas that have modern adaptations. And then we just have old ideas that are preserved, And there's so many more other kinds of ideas that swirl around. As far as my personality goes, personally, as far as my brain wiring goes, Ty could tell you this, I often find myself captivated by ideas of all kinds. And when I hear an idea that I haven't heard before, I do my best as quickly as I can to work that idea out as if I was trying to play it out in the world around me. And it's it's something that annoys Ty, I would imagine. Sometimes. Um, it's been lovely to have Rosie now because I have someone that I can talk to and, uh, and they'll just look at me. And uh, it's beautiful. <laughs> Rosie's heard a lot of my ideas as well. Um, but I recognize clearly that a never-ending flow of ideas... Can be burdensome. And I'll be completely honest, this season we're in right now, it's this never ending flow of opinions and headlines and ideas. It's really, really frying my brain. It really is. But regardless of what we do with ideas, I think, maybe not us, but maybe us, but definitely those I observe. I think we all generally have the same one of two responses two ideas and that is i agree or i disagree i think that's where a lot of it boils down to us is we hear something new and whether it's immediately or whether it is after a time of thought or reflection we end up at this point where we hear something new where we say i agree or i disagree what, what is the season that we're in? It's a season of debates. It's a season of polls. It's a season of hot takes. It's a season of headlines. And they all push us and pester us and beg for us to decide. Do you agree or do you disagree? It's to this end that I want to present a different set of questions. Because this is what we see in Luke chapter 20. This is kind of the the -the in-between-the-lines narrative that's happening in Luke chapter 20, is that the people that are trying to trap Jesus are saying, are you here or are you here? There are two options It's duplicitous. It's dual. It's one or the other. Are you here, Jesus, or are you here? And what does Jesus say? He says, I'm actually somewhere over here. (laughs) You see, the cool thing about Jesus, and this is where, this is why Jesus frustrated so many people, is because the way of life that he was ushering in the kingdom of God that he was inaugurating was not a particular type of kingdom that nicely fit into human kingdoms and human structures and human systems. And so the reason that people got frustrated with Jesus, one of the reasons I would imagine, but one of the main ones is that what people wanted him to do, what the Pharisees wanted him to do, and all of these other groups of people is essentially they wanted Jesus to say, okay, Jesus, is it this one or that one? You know, because you're the son of God, and we, they told him all these things. We trust you. We believe in you. We know that you're from God, clearly. So is it this or that? Okay, next one. Is it this or that? Okay, next one. Is it this or that? And they wanted Jesus to do that about everything. But what does Jesus do every time? When it comes to paying taxes, he gives this answer (laughs) that is so confusing (laughs) and is so beyond and outside of the structure that was created. Another example, and I'm always drawn to this example, is when Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath. What the Pharisees probably wanted him to say is, Do we do work on the Sabbath or not? To to heal was to work in their eyes. To do an act of healing was to do something on the Sabbath. Jesus, should we do something on the Sabbath or not? And Jesus goes, look, if your donkey is in a hole and you need that donkey to earn a living and it's Sunday, you're going to go get the donkey, aren't you? Right so he doesn't say yes or no he says just ask a question (laughs) just ask a different set of questions and so it's to this end where we have we have to move away this is what I'm getting at I guess is we have to move away from agree or disagree that's my challenge it's my challenge to us over the next month two months forever We have to get away from hearing something and then going, I agree or I disagree. We've got to move away from that place because it's going to trap us. So here is a different set of questions. Are we finding ourselves trying to squeeze God into our ideas? Or are we getting our ideas from God? are we taking an idea in from wherever we take them? And I'm not here to say where you should be getting them or not, except I kind of am, right? Because I'm saying you should get them from God. (laughs) So we're either taking ideas in from a place, and then we're seeing how we can justify it with the Lord, or we're just starting with God in the first place. And I would contend that if we continue to pattern and rhythm ourselves and saturate ourselves with the scriptures and experiencing God's presence through different times of reflection and prayer and reading and just conversation with others, I think we can truthfully get ourselves into a place where our wiring is God. And that's where we can start is discerning, am I trying to fit God into this or am I just starting with God off the bat? From which positions are we approaching life around us? And hopefully it's one. Hopefully it's a kingdom-minded position. Are we allowing God to inform all things, all areas in our lives, or only certain ones, And then we try to fill in the gaps with our own philosophical dispositions. And I think that's where where Paul left a lot of the Athenians. I think Paul said what he had to say. The scriptures tell us that some of them followed him and others didn't. And I think the ones who didn't maybe were given new insights about this God that they had never talked about before, but I think they still wanted to hold on to the things that they knew. I think they still wanted to hold on to the things that were just comfortable for them, And they already had them all worked out in their minds. And so, okay, that's great. And you know what they did is they probably added the God of Israel to the list of the other 50. You know what I'm saying? I think they probably just ended up saying, Paul's probably right. I mean, there's probably a God who created stuff. Let's add him to the list. (laughs) And I want us to remind ourselves This is a toughie. The litmus test for an idea being informed by God is not whether we disagree with it or not. That's a tough one. The way in which we test an idea with the presumption of, did God think of this or not? Would God think of this or not? The litmus test is not if we disagree with it or not. Because here's the deal. If that was the litmus test, if, it's, if it was the litmus test now, then we can assume it was the litmus test then. When the people who disagreed with Jesus about healing the lame and forgiving sinners and welcoming children and lifting up the downtrodden they would have kept us out of reach of God's love for certain. If whether we disagreed with God's truth or not was the litmus test, excuse me, whether we agreed or disagreed with a particular concept was the litmus test for if God, well, God must really be agreeable with me then, right? (laughs) Or not. We would have been kept out for certain. So what I'm thankful for today, what I'm happy to announce, is that it is God's ideas that are the ones that are true. Is anyone else thankful for that? I mean, it it is God's idea that we would be included. That's his idea. We read of countless groups in the scriptures that did not have the same idea of being inclusive and forgiving and welcoming as God. God had a different idea. I love that idea because it means that we're here, and I like that. So here's a new rhythm for us. I've already presented some questions. Whenever you come to a conclusion or are trying to come to a conclusion, we can ask ourselves, where did we get that idea? We can do that. It's not harmful to ask this thought. Where did it come from? That's not not a harmful thing. Did it stem from love Did it stem from justice, mercy, humility, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control? Would Jesus ever do it? Not, do you wish Jesus would do it? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Would Jesus ever do it? We know we have a place where we can go, we have a presence that we can encounter where we know if Jesus would do that or not. We also have accounts by the grace of God that have lasted hundreds of years where we can even ask the question, did Jesus ever do it? Not just this, this what would Jesus do, although I think that's a very good question to ask, but we don't have to stay there. We can actually turn to the scriptures and go, did Jesus ever do this? The ideas of Jesus reconcile God to creation. The ideas of Jesus reconcile creation to creation. So let every idea we have promote reconciliation. Let every idea that we have have room for there to be reconciliation, forgiveness, mercy extended, grace extended, kindness extended. Because that's, that's the whole mission, right? If God has one big, grand idea... It's to reconcile creation back to God. This is why God sent prophets. This is why God sent himself in the form of a person we call Jesus. This is why God gave his spirit when himself in human form rose back into heaven and and he sent his spirit, everything is being done to reconcile creation back to the creator. And so if you ever encounter an idea, if you ever encounter a situation, if you ever encounter a person, we ask certain questions that hopefully go something like, how can I be reconciled to this person? What on earth could I possibly do to make amends? What on earth could I possibly do to show this person the love of God? Because I know, we know, that every single person that we could ever come into contact with or hear the voice of on the radio or television or read from in a newspaper or whatever else, whether we agree with them or not, we know that God cares about them. And so we ask a different set of questions. As people who are compelled by the gospel, people who believe they're saved by it, amen, we ask a different set of questions. How do we see reconciliation happen? What can we do? Is it a moment right now? Is it a moment down the road I need to prepare myself for? Is it a new mission to take on as a person, as a household, as a family, as a church? Perhaps the Lord would lead us into something new. To ask, how do we reconcile? Because that's God's big idea.